Amen. You brought a Bible with you this morning. Say yes. And let me invite you to open it with me to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 29 is where we're going to find ourselves this morning. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18 will be our key verse. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18. I'm very excited to be able to share these things with you this morning. So let's stand in honor of God's word today. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 18. If you got it there in front of you, say yes. The Bible says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. But happy is he who keeps the law. Notice the first part of that verse says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. One translation says, the people walk around aimlessly where there is no vision. We're going to talk this morning specifically about vision. Let's bow. Father, in Jesus' name, put your hand upon us. Help us, Lord, not to be a people who are wandering around. Uh, aimlessly walking. God, help us to be like lasers focused on your divine glory and your plan. God, I thank you for this church and thank you for what you have already done in the past two services, trusting you to work this morning as well. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray and everybody said amen. So you can be seated. And you can follow along on your listening guide this morning. But last Sunday we began talking once again about the mission of our church. You know, the mission of our church is to make disciples everywhere. And mission really does answer the question, what are you doing? Now, Jesus gives us the mission of the New Testament church in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. Jesus says, you are to go, therefore, into all of the world and preach the gospel and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. So Jesus makes a promise to those who are involved in this mission in life that he will be with us in a very unique way. So we talk specifically about how over the past couple of years, we have as a staff really focused in on the mission of the church so that we can create a pathway that actually helps people to become better disciples. And as a result, the heart of a disciple kind of was birthed, and we looked at the idea that a disciple is one who worships, reaches, grows, and serves. That is, a follower of Jesus is one who worships the Lord with all their heart. They reach out with the gospel to those who are far from the Lord so that they might understand the truth. They also serve employing their spiritual gift, and then they grow in their walks with the Lord Jesus Christ on a daily basis. So we talk specifically about mission. We realize that the mission answers the question, what are you doing? So if somebody runs into you and says, what are you guys doing down at Concord? You would say, making disciples everywhere. That's our goal. But vision is a little bit different than mission. Vision answers the question, where are you going? Where are you going? And that is altogether a different question than what are you doing? But here is the deal concerning vision in any local New Testament church. The vision should always support the mission. In other words, where a church is going should always undergird the mission of making disciples. Now, the mission... We cannot change. Jesus gave it to us. The vision of a local church, regardless or determined basically whereupon you find yourself on Sunday, the vision of that church may be a little bit different. So there is some freedom as a church looks at vision, but there is a lockdown, do this, as it pertains to mission. So this morning, we begin to ask the question, where are we going as a church? What are we trying to accomplish? Where are we headed? Now, over a year ago, there was actually a team instituted here at our church known as the Ministry Expansion Team. 
And these guys were put together by the church to look ahead to see where we should be going. How we could, in the vision of the church, actually support the mission. And these guys, you may not know them, so we have some pictures of them for you here this morning. And uh, they look a lot better in real life. Are y'all with me, yeah? But over on the far left, you got Ron Rogers, then Darren Bryson. And then you have uh, Bronson Lavender, Kevin Woody, myself in the back, John Winters, Jay Burkett, and then Chris Pittman. So... Us guys would begin to get together and really look at where the Lord was leading us as a church. And not only were these guys involved, but obviously our staff was heavily involved in this as well. And one of the first things that we began to do is actually look at the demographics of the surrounding counties of our particular church. And there were six major counties that began to more or less highlight themselves as we did a demographic study. And we got these studies from the Georgia Baptist Convention as well as New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. They actually have a group there that put together demographic studies specifically designed for local churches. So we made some phone calls. We gathered all kinds of information, found out all sorts of stuff about the people who live all around our particular fellowship. As you look at demographics, you look at the median age, and believe it or not, the median age in these six counties is around 35 and a half. And then not only this, but we also looked at the households. How many people were in the household? What kind of household? We looked at some that were blended families. We looked at some where were single moms and even single dads. We looked at those who had teenagers, those who had middle school students, those who had elementary school students, as well as all the way down. So we looked at all of these demographics. But what really captured our hearts was the estimated group of people who are unchurched and far from the Lord. And this is what began to really grab hold of us as we began to do this study. And what I'm going to share with you this morning are several numbers just in the onset of this particular vision talk. So I don't want you to get sidelined by the numbers and allow them to go into one ear and out of the other. As we mention these numbers, these are numbers of people. These are souls that are standing on the edge of eternity whereby they will be separated from God in hell. So we as a church are not called together so that we can just come and kind of glad hand each other each Sunday and say, how you doing, how you doing, how you doing? We are called as a church, uniquely planted as a church in the middle of these six counties, to actually reach out with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this calling challenges every single one of us down to the core of who we are and what we do. So this morning, we're going to look at some of these truths, and I want you to see some of this stuff. We started off in Banks County. We got anybody that lives in Banks County up in here, yeah? All right, right here on the front row. God bless you guys. Thank you for coming to church. Apparently, y'all are the only ones are reaching out to Banks County. Baptized one this morning. But in Bank, and by the way, all of these little uh, pictures that I'm going to show you, there was a guy who majored, evidently, he's a PhD in pie charts. None of these are right, all right? So, uh... All the pictures look the same, just notice the numbers, all right? So here's the deal. In Banks County, there are 19,000 people. And among the 19,000 people, there are estimated loss number of 13,507. As you move to Hall County, you see that the population is 180,000 and some change. And then among the 180,000, there are an estimated loss amount of 126,367. 
Then as we moved over into Habersham County and began to narrow our focus there, we saw that there were 43,596. And among those who are unchurched and outside of the faith, there's an estimated 30,517. And then we went, obviously, just a stone's throw from the church into White County. White County has a population of 28,213 individuals. And among that group, there's an estimated lost population of 19,749. And then as we move on to Dawson County, there's an estimated population of 22,793. Among that 22,000, there are 15,955 who have yet to respond to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we move, obviously, into Lumpkin County. And in Lumpkin County, there's an estimated population of 31,592. And among that group, listen to this number, 22,114 people are outside of the faith. Now, typically, the way they figure this out through the convention and through their demographic studies is they find out how many are unchurched, and then they do make the assumption that those are individuals who do not have a relationship with the Lord. But how many of you know just because you go to church doesn't mean you have a relationship with the Lord. So some of these numbers that we see this morning could actually be greater. So many people without the Lord. And it was wild too. We actually had these demographic studies done in such a way. I asked them, I said, can you draw a 10 mile radius or rather a 10 minute drive radius around our church? And then a 20 minute, mile, uh, 20 minute uh, driving radius around our church as well. Can you do that for us and tell us the demographics there? And they did that for us. So within 10 minutes of our church, there's an estimated 10,587 people. And among that 10,000, there are an estimated 6,352 people who do not have a relationship with the Lord. And we said, okay, let's double that. 20-minute drive, 58,000 people in that group. And among that group, 35,288. That is a lot of people outside of the faith. What happens to people whenever they die has been a burning question in my life since I was very young. Now, some of you may know this story. Some of you may have never heard it before. But when I was only five years old, my older brother Lance was diagnosed with brain cancer. So my parents did what any parent would do. They prayed for Lance. They sought to get the very best help for Lance that they possibly could. Took him to the doctors. Took him to several hospitals. They did several surgeries upon him. They worked as hard as they possibly could to try to save my brother. Uh, but my brother did breathe his last breath at the age of seven. So he passed away and he died. Now, you can imagine to a five-year-old kid, Lance was my best friend. Every morning I would wake up, I would find Lance would play outside all day long. And I recall, as I look back upon the days when he was around, that there were times when Lance could not even get out of the bed, and I still could not fully understand why. And after he died, you can imagine how confused I was. Lance, nowhere to be found. Uh, my parents tell the story that I would come in to them, and I would ask them uh, right in the living room, where is Lance? Where is Lance? Where is Lance? Where is he at? When is he coming home? And you can imagine the excruciating uh, times that they possessed in their own life, trying to describe to me what happened to Lance at the age of seven. And here I am, five years old, and I'm just trying to compute what's going on. And so my mother on one occasion began to share with me that uh, Lance was actually in heaven now with Jesus. And 
It's pretty interesting. Lance, believe it or not, actually had a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. He came to know Jesus before he died. They actually made a coloring book about his life down in South Georgia that was distributed all over the place, even into Jacksonville, Florida. It was all about his walk with Christ. And so my mom said, Lance is in heaven. And she tells me the story. I have a difficult time remembering it, but she says that I ran back into his room after hearing that he was in heaven and grabbed his favorite hat and then ran out the front door into the front yard and began to take the hat and throw it up in the air as hard as I could and just simply say, Lance, you forgot your hat. So you can picture that, a five-year-old going nuts trying to get the hat up to his brother. And again, they began to explain to me what was going on. And then this idea of people dying, obviously, is on the forefront of my mind. So every single time that I heard about somebody dying, I would always ask my parents, where are they? Where are they? Did they go to heaven or did they go to hell? And God used even the passing of my brother to tenderize my heart. And at the young age of seven myself, I heard the gospel clearly for the first time. And like Bartimaeus, man, I was blinded. But all of a sudden, my eyes were open. I'm like, this makes perfect. Jesus died for my sin. He was buried and resurrected. And I gave my life to Jesus. And what's amazing is, even after coming to faith in Jesus Christ, is that I still was concerned about what was happening to people whenever they died. And so my parents even tell me that if it was when I would go to school, I would actually go to school and begin to share Bible stories with people. One uh, particular young girl that I was seeking to share a Bible story with, I shared the Bible story of Jonah, but I changed it a little bit. I told her that Jonah was actually my daddy. Y'all all right? It's like, my dad got swallowed by a whale. We ain't seen him lately. Right? I hope she came to know the Lord. But there was this drive in me, this desire. And I'm thinking to myself, even as I'm growing up and I get on into my young teenage years and even the times when I'm straying away from the Lord's call in my life and I'm trying to do my own thing, always this burning question. you got this short life and what you do with Jesus determines where you spend eternity and there are a mass of people on their way to hell who don't even know the gospel. How can we sit around on this truth? If somebody had the pill that my brother could have taken to save his life and they didn't say anything about it, we would have said, what? Why didn't you reveal this pill? And we have the gospel that eternally saves. And you and I are not called as a church to look at each other and then just leave. We are called to strategically position ourselves to be broken over what breaks the heart of God. And God's heart is broken over those who are lost. That's why he sent his son Jesus. And Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's his heart. So it seems to make good sense to me that if that's the heart of God, that would also be the heart of God's people. So as you think about this number, it should put you back man these people on the edge of hell the total amount it's on these t-shirts 228,209 out of 326,071 can you imagine that that's how many people within uh, the radius of this church are far from God and if they were some means to all die today the majority of them would be gone forever hell And hey, listen, I'm smart enough to know that uh, statistically, some of you this morning who are here listening to me talk right now, you're among that group of 228,209. 
And if you can look at that number and it not do something in your heart, it doesn't stir you up, you're probably one of those in the number. It should break us. Matter of fact, on average, it means that seven out of every ten people in our community is without the Lord. Seven out of ten. It's like when I read stats like this, I'm like, what am I doing in here talking to y'all? I ought to be out there hollering at everybody. Y'all listening? Running up the streets. So we consider this for a moment this morning, and we consider that our ministry expansion team, as well as um, our staff, has been looking at these stats. We've been praying, seeking the Lord uh, for well over a year now, and that's what's come out of it. It's called the 777 Vision. All right, 777 Vision. Now, you may be like, well, what do those numbers stand for? Well, here's what they stand for. The first seven speaks of seven years. So in January 2014, which will be next January, it will begin the tick down for the seven years. And then in the context of that seven years, we as a church body want to plant seven gospel-centered churches in our communities as well as be involved in seven countries overseas. And I'll kind of flesh some of that out for you this morning as we consider this vision, all right, where we are going. So the first thing that we look at in the first seven years really are the seven churches. And what we have come to the conclusion of is that the best way that we can strategically reach those who are outside of the faith and outside of the gospel is really uh, by Concord becoming a multi-site congregation. Multi-site. That simply means that we would open or reopen a fellowship under the name of Concord at that city's name. So if we planted a satellite church over in Cleveland, maybe North Cleveland or even in Demarest, it would be Concord at Cleveland or Concord at Demarest. So we'd seek to plant these churches. The primary teaching for the satellite campus would actually come uh, from here. So it would be piped in on Sunday mornings. Then the goal is really to develop the culture of Concord at each satellite campus to reflect the mission of making disciples everywhere just as it is here. So we want to take the culture of Concord and we want to maximize that culture all over and all around us. So how do we do that? Well, one of the major ways is that our fellowship through prayer is going to seek out a campus pastor for each satellite church. Now, the campus pastor may be someone who is raised up among us. Campus pastor may be somebody that we don't even know yet. But the campus pastor is going to have the primary duty of leading that particular satellite campus to become a group of people who are seeking to make disciples everywhere. And not only will they lead, he will also be the primary shepherd for those people. So he would love on them, he would minister to them, he would counsel them, he would direct them. And then not only would we have a campus pastor there, but we also would have a worship team, a tech team, a preschool team, a children's ministry team, a hospitality team. All of these will be primary teams needed just to get the satellite going from the very beginning. And then at the bottom here on this little chart, you see something that I want you to listen to closely. What we need is just one-year missionaries. So for every single satellite, we are praying that God would place it upon the hearts of people to become missionaries to actually go and help start those particular campuses. So that means it's like, where are the 100 going to come from? Or where are the uh, one-year ministry uh, missionaries going to come from? They're going to come from our fellowship. 
And this is what's awesome, right? This ought to make you real uncomfortable. Y'all with me? Say yes. Now, that was kind of the goal. I think I told you last uh, Sunday that the times of my life when I was the most uncomfortable were the times of my life where I grew in my faith the greatest. And so really and truly, this is it, all right? God's not just called us to come and sit and be comfortable. God has called us to move out. So we seek to do this all together. Man, we're praying God would raise up individuals who have a heart to actually get those campuses started. And it's pretty interesting, too, because honestly, that means that we would actually lose people here at the main campus to go to other campuses. And some people have said to me, well, Levi, you know, that means we're going to lower our numbers here at the main campus and send them out, right? I'm all down with that. If we, even if we lower numbers here to send people out, if we're reaching more people, what difference does it make? So that's what we want to do. Again, heaven and hell is in the balance, and we hang, cannot just sit around and look at each other. We have got to do something. We've got to do something now. And so as we continue to think about this, developing the culture, Concord at Claremont would actually provide direction and leadership for the satellite fellowship. And then leadership at each satellite campus will join the main campus leadership for weekly staff meetings and leadership development opportunities. And then the leadership at each satellite campus will follow a tentative uh, plan for four and a half to five years. And we've got that mapped out. I'm not going to go through that with you right now. But it is awesome. It just basically rolls out the ministry in that satellite campus to reflect worshiping, reaching, growing, and serving. Now, the question often comes, well, why should we multi-site? I mean, why would we do that? Why don't we just kind of crank along here? Why don't we build a bigger building? So some people have said uh, one reason that uh, we haven't leaned heavily upon a bigger building is because big buildings cost big money. Y'all all right? And so we also know that we are landlocked here, and it's going to be very difficult for us to build a building bigger because if we do, we don't have anywhere to park anybody. We've got more seats, but no parking spaces. All right? God bless y'all. Right? So we started saying, okay, how, how do we do this? Uh, and, and be smart about it, fiscally responsible with it. And um, that's when we begin to, to basically look at multi-sites or simply us moving out to fulfill the mission, to reach more and increase the influence of Concord in our area. Multi-sites take the church to the people rather than inviting them to drive long distances to a church. And then we also know that multi-sites allow us to fill our surrounding cities with the teachings of Christ. Multi-sites allow us to effectively invest the resources of our fellowship into reaching others. And then a staggering stat that we continue to run across as a team is that multi-site success rates are above 80%. So as we begin to look at this, we said, okay, this is a way that we can actually reach the community. And then God willing, there's no telling what's liable to happen after we get the ball rolling. And it could be much greater than anything that we've ever thought about. And so we're all fired up about this. And I remember us being in the uh, meeting and they're all fired up about it. And then I leave and I'm driving back to the house in my truck. And I'm like, Lord, if this isn't the direction, make it plain right now. Run me off the road. You know what I'm saying? Get my attention. The next morning I get up and I'm praying the same thing. God, you're going to have to confirm this. Uh, if this is really where you desire for me to go, I had a lunch appointment with somebody that I'd never ate with before. Sat down with him. First question out of his mouth is, when are y'all going to plant a satellite campus in Habersham County? So that I, I said, uh, uh, <laughs> don't know, man. There's been confirmation after confirmation. I've already shared this with our deacons, already shared it with our Sunday school leadership team, and both times scared to death to share it. And this is the third time I've shared it this morning. I'm still scared. Y'all all right? Because here's the deal. Somebody will say, well, Levi, you talking about all this church planning. You ever done that before? Nope. 
Never. You ever thought about doing it? Never. You ready for that? Nope. That's the deal, right? Whenever you have vision, you really have to sit back, and the question isn't, what can we accomplish ourselves? If you can accomplish it yourself, it's not a vision. What is it that God's calling us to accomplish? And can we do that? Nope. You know what that means? If you can accomplish it yourself, you'll never lean upon the Lord. But if you can't accomplish it, it's like, I can't do this, man. It is all dependent upon the Lord Jesus. Some people are like, don't get too far out on a limb. That's where all the fruit is, man. And you stay near the trunk if you want to. Y'all all right? That was a good one right there. <laughs> Somebody please write that down. Email that to me. But that's the multi-size. That's what we're looking at doing, man. It's very exciting. Uh, and, man, I was so encouraged after the first two services, man, because I was honestly nervous as a cat about it. I woke up this morning. I was like, Lord, I will not do it right now if you will stop me. And uh, I, I will not say a word. And um, what I'm reading in my own devotion is out of the book of Genesis. And uh, here's the, the word. Now, you've got to picture me, right? Scared to death about what I'm going to share this morning, saying, Lord, I've got so much fear going on in my brain right now. Here's, here's the passage. Do not fear. That's the next one to read. I am a shield to you. The reward shall be very great. I said, all right, Lord. And it's pretty interesting, too. Like, I had all that going on. Y'all with me, and I'm driving in, and I'm still like, Lord, run me off the road. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, my phone kind of buzzes, and it does that every once in a while. So I pick it up, and uh, actually got some texts now. But anyway, so I pick it up, and I begin to look at it, what was uh, happening. There's a pastor over, I believe he's actually out in Texas, and he had posted something. And, and here's, here's what he said, which I thought was pretty cool. Whatever the Lord's calling you to do today, do it speedily. I was I'm going to preach that sermon fast. In and out, brother. I said, I want you to imagine, imagine that for me, just for a second. Can you imagine? Let's fast forward seven years. And there are seven other concords. And all of us have worked together, we've prayed, we've sought the Lord, and God's just done amazing things. And this number begins to go down and continues to go down as people are saved and baptized and discipled. And so, and, and then, could you imagine, like, all seven churches were all doing the exact same thing. The seven plus us were learning the same thing. We're all moving in the same direction. It's like a massive tidal wave over all of Northeast Church. It's like, who doesn't want to be a part of that? That's what God's calling us to. Not simply sit around and see how many people we can pack in here. It's like, go out. Go out. So we not only go out locally, but also we need to go out internationally. So that's the third seven, seven countries that we want to focus on. So we look at focusing our efforts in seven countries to make disciples. And it's pretty neat, too. Again, you've got to imagine this. As we continue to build satellite campuses and that continues to happen, then literally those campuses join us in the efforts to be involved in missions overseas. So it's like this huge Concord community in northeast Georgia, and we're all headed in the same direction, doing what the Lord wants us to do according to the Scripture. Then we go into a country with a plan to walk alongside another missionary or missions group that actually has the same mission that we have, which is to make disciples. 
I'm so blessed, man. Like, Concord is an awesome church. I knew this before I ever came, right? Before I came, they gave me, I mean, so much information about Concord. It was almost crazy. I mean, I'm reading through all this stuff, and all of a sudden, I began to look at Concord's faithfulness over the years to give to missions. I think I remember, man, I was involved, and in, I mean, I'd been to Africa, I don't know, about eight times just that year already. So my heart was heavy to help people overseas who didn't know Jesus. And then I saw Concord's heart. And it's like, it's almost like if you could picture it like this, they, Concord is running in this direction, and then I was running in this direction as well. And then I just looked over and I'm like, there's Concord. Maybe we all should just run together. And then y'all messed up and called me to come run with y'all. So here we are now, we're running, and I'm just so overwhelmed at the church. Man, and I told Krista this before we came. I said, we're fixing to go to a church, and we're going to, listen to this, drink from wells that we did not dig. They dig the wells here. Think about the history of this church, man. You just walk down from the far left-hand side of the campus to the far right-hand side of the campus. You can see how God has added, at least through buildings, to the church. And every single step you take is another step of faith that somebody previous took on your behalf. And could you imagine what it would be like if we say, all right, we're not just going to be satisfied with this. We're not just going to say, okay, we're going to hit 1,500 and stop there. We're going to keep reaching people. And as we reach people, you and I are going to dig wells that another generation is going to drink from. That's the calling. What an awesome, awesome call from the Lord. Now, somebody uh, hears all this and they're like, well, how are we going to pay for all that? Y'all out there? Y'all like the way I just taught plain? They didn't teach us that in seminary. So we finance the vision. I kind of put these in descending order just on purpose, but one way we can finance the vision is through outside organizations. Pretty awesome, all right, how this is rolling out. Again, the Lord's just uh, paved so many things and confirmed so many things. I was invited to be on a team with the North American Mission Board called Send Atlanta. And this particular team's goal was to get together and decide where churches need to be planted in Metro Atlanta. And so here I am, I find myself show up at this team. They're talking about all these plants. And Hall County happens to fall in that particular uh, radius. And so then I begin to ask the people who are in charge. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Hall County's in here. And I know we are like just in the north of Hall County. What if we started planting satellite campuses and they went to other places? They're like, yeah, we're behind that. And so as we talked uh, further, obviously there's some financing that could come from that. Now we'll figure out how behind they are in, it, in the future. Y'all with me? And then also Jojo Thomas, who is a uh, uh, associational director at Chattahoochee Baptist Association, right? He's a church member here as well, also kind of a quasi-staff member. He helps out with our Sunday school. He has, through that organization, created a place called the New Work Foundation. And their whole role is to help churches that are starting churches financially. And so I asked him already, y'all with me on that? I was like, hey, man, y'all going to help us out? <laughs> help a brother out. He was in the first service, and I, I, I acted like I hadn't talked to him. And I said, Jojo's here this morning. Jojo, you mind helping us? And uh, he said, yeah. I'd already talked with him, but, man, they're fired up about it as well. And then, obviously, we looked at capital campaigns. And the same way we'd have a capital campaign to build a building, we'd have capital campaigns to help us launch new satellite campuses. And then we'd seek to realign Concord's budget to reflect the vision. So many things that we can do, so many avenues and open doors but man, the question really is like, what do we do now? And the answer is pray, pray, pray. Are y'all down with that? Say yes. We got to pray. We got to seek the Lord. And this is huge. Here's what we know. The enemy, now listen closely, the enemy does not mess with a church that is not moving the mission of Jesus forward. 
So as we continue to move the mission of Jesus forward, go ahead and know we're going to be attacked all over the place. That's how the enemy works. And we've already seen it, I believe. And the way we're seeing the attack in many instances is just an attack in people's homes. See, the enemy knows if he can get homes divided, homes separated, that will reflect all the way into other relationships and then ultimately can even affect a church. So we got to pray. Men, are y'all in the house say, yeah, men? You have flat out got to pray. You're the pastor of your home. You've got to seek the Lord on behalf of your home. Seek the Lord on behalf of this fellowship. And what are we praying for? We're praying for unity. Praying that God would just blink our hearts together. I think we're all down with the mission. Uh, we can all see the vision. Now we've just got to come together and say, okay, what can I do? What do I need to do? How can I be involved in this particular mission? And then we've got to pray for the health of the church so we'll remain healthy. And then just pray that God would bring about sacrifice in our lives. Sacrifice of time, sacrifice of finances, sacrifice of our own comfortableness. And then we've got to pray for wisdom. That God will continue to pour out. And wisdom, by the way, I think you've probably heard me say this a thousand times, but wisdom is the ability to see your situation from God's perspective. That's what wisdom is. So got to pray, God, give us wisdom here. How do we need to move forward? And... Um, I added the other two services, so I'll add here as well. We've got to pray for God's grace. That we would express grace toward one another. Hey, let, let, let's check it out. If I've never led this way before, guess what? I'm going to mess up. Y'all all right? Royally blow it sometimes. You're going to be like, what in the world was he thinking? What are they thinking? Don't act like that. Y'all with me? Are, are y'all with me? I was just asking again. No, no, show grace, man. All of us need to learn. Listen, and whenever you face difficulties, it doesn't mean the vision is subsided. It means the Lord wants to grow you in the vision. So we grow out of those. So we've got to pray, pray, pray. That's what we're going to do now. Listen, I'm uncomfortable sharing this. I'm always, anytime you seek to lead, you're always disappointing somebody. Anytime, uh, one guy said it in our, uh, our group, ministry expansion team, he said, Levi, as soon as you stick your head above the crowd and tell everybody what to do, there's going to be tomatoes coming. I was like, thank you for your encouragement. God bless you for being here tonight. That is true, man. That's just part of it. Leadership, you're always disappointing somebody. But the Lord says go, so we've got to pray. And so, man, I, I want to, you know, since I'm uncomfortable, I figure I'd make y'all uncomfortable for a minute. Y'all down with that? Say yes. All right. God bless y'all. Uh, I actually want us to pray. But I want us right where you're seated, maybe a group of about 10 people, 10 to 12, a couple of rows together. Y'all would just turn in, maybe make some kind of a circle, and just elect one person to pray for you guys. And let's pray for the vision and where God's headed. All right? So we're going to do that right now. <laughs> y'all uncomfortable yet? Good. All right, let's go ahead and bow together. You guys circle up and y'all begin to pray this morning. Then I'll come back in and I'll close this and we'll have an invitation. All right? So let's bow together.
Father, how grateful we are for your grace and the opportunity this morning just to lift our voices to you. God, I pray the sound which we've just heard here in this building of many people praying would become natural for us. And we would seek you with our whole hearts, desiring for you to do great things. Things that we don't take credit for, we just sit back and are amazed by your faithfulness. And God, I pray for this church body as well. Pray specifically for those who still don't know you. Draw them to yourself this morning. Pray for those, God, who maybe have heard the vision and they're just like, I want to I join this church. I want to be a part of this thing. So God, I pray that you bless them this morning as well. And God, put your hand upon those who really need to think about being missionaries in the days ahead for churches. And we'll give you glory for it. Amen. Everybody look at me for just a moment. As we prepare ourselves for our invitation, when you came in, you got this. Y'all can just have a seat. You got this in your hand. Uh, there's actually a perforated section on the back of it. And there's a part there that says, you know, basically you're interested in being a missionary. So if that's you, man, go ahead and put your name down. We'll have some missions training in the days ahead. We want to put you on the top of the list. You can sign that. Put it at one of these boxes as you leave here this morning, and uh, we'll get in contact with you. Now, with that in mind, everybody's eyeball to eyeball right quick, all right?